Hello and welcome to 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Carlisle, otherwise known as the Squarespace Queen, and I also run a community for freelancers called Freelance Folk, for freelancers who want to be alone together. My name is Michelle, I'm your other host, and I run a coaching and training business called Dive Deeper Development. And in this episode, we are up to episode 66, so we are officially two-thirds of the way through our 99 problems. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about switching off. There's been a couple of surveys recently that have been done by organisations that support freelancers and remote workers. So Buffer, who do a social scheduling tool, um, they did a report recently that said that 27% of people who work remotely said that switching off was one of the biggest problems that they faced. And another survey from Leapers, who support freelancers with their mental health, said that 44% of them found that taking time off actually created stress for them. So we know that this is a problem for freelancers and really anybody who's working from home. But why in particular might it be a problem for freelancers, Michelle? Yeah, I think freelance is a little bit different, isn't it, Katie? I think when you've got an employer, you have set working hours. You even have a contract saying what hours you should work. Not to say that you necessarily stick to those, but it's pretty laid out (laughs) what is expected of you, whether it's adhered to or not. And I think when you're freelance, those parameters aren't there. I mean, one of the joys of it is you could work whatever hours you choose to. So if you're feeling inspired at one in the morning, you could work at one in the morning. It's up to you. But I think with that flexibility also comes a bit of a downside, of course, which which is you could work whenever you want to. And of course, there is always more work to do, particularly when you're building a business. There is always more to be done. And even when you've covered the essentials, there's always lots of lovely, shiny things you could be doing. So I think that that balance, that, that those lines are probably blurred. You probably don't write a contract for yourself on your working hours when you become freelance, which is a bonus, but I think also a bit of a downside. But Kate, this is something you've come across. You've noticed this in some of your freelancers as well, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. I think we kind of, in some ways, we work all the hours and also none of them. And so it's, it is really hard because I think there's certain things that we have to do as business owners that we don't necessarily have the responsibility for if we're an employee. And so things like, unless you are in the marketing department and you're responsible for managing a company's social media, you're probably not going to be looking on your work social media out of hours. Whereas if you're a freelancer, I think that's going to be much more common that you're engaging with your social media contacts and people who you've actually made friends with online that are other freelancers and things um, outside of kind of standard working days. And that almost becomes a bit more of your community. Whereas if you are just managing another corporate's social media you're probably not engaged and invested in it and you probably don't have any responsibility to really interact with it outside of your scheduled time unless you're kind of doing you know your shift in which case you've scheduled that in and you're probably going to have a break from it so i think social media as well makes it very kind of present in our lives work all the time and you might feel like it's a kind of not work activity sometimes because it's fun but i think sometimes it is that reminder still that there's always work stuff whirring in our heads And I think as well, this is something that obviously a lot of people have experienced now because of the pandemic, but as freelancers, most of us work from home at least some of the time. And sometimes we don't have a a kind of set space. And so the boundaries are very physically blurred because people are working at kitchen tables and on sofas or anything else like that. And so it's harder to switch off when you've got a constant reminder of your workspace right there in front of you. So I think when something's physically very present, it can be hard to switch off. Um, So I think that's one of the things. And then add in being, you know, obviously locked down and having to work from home so that you don't have the kind of option to work from coffee shops or co-working spaces and things like homeschooling and everything, then, you know, it's going to be even harder for you to switch off and have your own time to have some downtime. Yeah, okay. I'm finding that a lot from people, even from employees who are now working remotely for the first time. As, re- as freelancers, that's the cheapest way to get started. So for most of us, we're quite familiar. But even people who are in employment working from home now, they tell me big- switching off is the biggest thing. They're just not ac- accustomed to balancing those two. And like you say, that 
that lack of physical boundary sometimes can make it difficult. And I hadn't even thought about sharing the load, Katie. You're so right. Like you say, you can just forget about social media. That's the marketing department. You can forget about bringing in sales. That's the business partners and the and the sales department. And if your laptop breaks, you forget about that. You log it with IT and you leave it to the IT department. And of course, when you're freelance, you can't really delegate that to anybody. Um, well, you can to a degree, but it's quite tricky. You have to fix things at whatever hour of the day, which can make it hard as well. I think as well, when you've got financial worries about your business, then that's going to be whirring around in your mind and that makes it hard to switch off as well. Whereas, yes, okay, you might be worried about, if you're employed, you might be worried about your kind of job security or you might be worried that you're not performing as well. But when you're freelance, literally you have, you know, you don't have the steady cash flow of knowing that you've got the the kind of paycheck. So you're, you're kind of literally having to think about all the time okay, am I bringing in enough money? I, you know, have I, have I done this, like, kind of, have I been proactive and looked for clients and things like that? So yeah. um, I think that is something that freelancers have to deal with a little bit more. And again, it makes it harder to switch off. It's true. I mean, there's always more, isn't there? I think when you're an employee, there comes a point which if, you know, at which point if you do more work, you won't get any more rewards. It won't boost your career anymore. Yes. You'll get no more profile. You won't get any more money. And it's not to say that people are transactional in nature. They're not. They have they have ambition, but it's it's uh, with your freelance, basically the sky is the limit, which can be a blessing, but it could also be add a bit of pressure subconsciously as well. Yeah, it's more of a direct correlation, isn't it? Like for yeah. most freelancers, you work more, you earn more. Whereas in the workplace, it's a bit more blurred. Um, we're not going to be talking particularly about time management in this episode, but we did do an episode, um, episode number 48, where we talked about making the most of the hours in the day. And there's lots of tips on there to help you feel more in control of your time, if that's something that is also preventing you from switching off a little bit. So, Michelle, we can know that it's a problem for freelancers, but why is it actually important to switch off in the first place? Yeah, it's something I've been working with groups this week. I mean, there's a I reckon there's kind of two parts to this, Katie. I think I think there's some psychological reasons why you should do it. I think if you fail to switch off adequately, it can create stress, which I think can mentally can affect your mental well being and your emotional well being. Um for, for me, it, it is kind of this distraction. At the moment, Katie, especially with lockdown, I'm, I'm not getting that change of scenery and I'm normally pretty good at switching off. But at the moment, I'm finding I'm just constantly stuck in my own head. I've got thoughts wearing around there. And so that makes it really hard for me to be present. And I think when you're in that state, um, it's harder to produce good work because I think you're more likely to make mistakes or to go on autopilot. Um, I think it's also can it also have a, a strain on your uh, relationships as well you know if you've got a partner or housemates or friends to be fully engaged with those people if you've constantly stuff got going on I, I remember being on holiday with my wife a few years back and I had lots going on in my mind and I'd said oh I feel like I've been really distracted and she said that she, she said yeah I've noticed you've not really been very present and that was like a knife through my heart because she'd noticed oh. it and I felt really bad and I thought well she's not getting the best of me and it's not great for her. and we're on holiday for crying out loud so something about that just jolted me out of it it's like no I'm going to be totally totally here because it was good for me and for her but it can affect your relationships as well but the other part I suppose is that it um it could not just affect the quality of your work or your mental well-being, but it also has physical symptoms if we allow it to go on. And I've been stressed in the past uh, in employment and I suffered from burnout and this can result in physical symptoms. So being run down, uh, feeling tired, affecting your sleep, affecting your mood. And actually it could even cause cardiovascular problems if it, you know, take it to a to an extreme and you can get things like lightheadedness, dizziness, um, stomach problems, but also, uh, yeah, cardiovascular problems as well if it's allowed to go on for too long so and the, do you know what the main thing is it just doesn't feel very nice does it I suppose no exactly and I think we need to take breaks like you say to avoid burning out but I think breaks also actually can help us I think sometimes we feel guilty for taking breaks and we feel like we're not working hard enough if we take a break or if we have some downtime but actually taking a break and stepping away especially if you're trying to solve a problem can actually help to solve it and help you to kind of think about things more creatively um it's something called like the incubation effect that i've read about as well where yeah it's basically that idea that kind of the idea just sort of sits and percolates in your mind a little bit so your subconscious mind is doing the work for you because you're letting it you're kind of letting it breathe basically 
So it's you're ta- you're not focusing your mind on something that is to do with that problem. So it's there for them free to whir away in the back of your mind. Um, obviously, I'm not a brain scientist, but that is the brain science, I believe. It is. It's the, you're <laughs> absolutely right about the brain science there, Katie. They're also not just taking a break, but even just switching your mind to something different. You're right. Your brain still continues to work on the problem in the background. And yeah, you get better results. And the other thing I think you need to think about as well is if, you know, if you're in a place where you feel like you can't switch off or you can't take a break, then it actually creates a bit of a vicious circle. And if you're kind of modeling that behavior to clients that you are always available and you're not ever taking a break, then that will set their expectations. And if they're then talking about you to other people, they might be like, oh yeah, this person always responds really quickly. And then you go into a new client relationship with again, that expectation of being always on. And I think things like, you know, like, like I said, social media, people could just message any hours of the day. If they've got your phone number and they're WhatsApping you and stuff, it can be quite intrusive. I used to have two phones until I broke one. Um, well, I actually broke both of my phones with a week apart and I couldn't afford to repair both of them. So now I've gone down to having one phone with two numbers. But I did really love having two phones because it let me actually physically separate myself from that phone and I could put it on silent in another room or turn it off even and know that I was not going to get any kind of intrusions into my downtime from that. But obviously you can set notifications to be turned off and we're going to look at ways to actually help you switch off a bit later in this episode. So if we feel like we're not switching off and I think especially during lockdown a lot of us are probably taking fewer holidays because we're not actually allowed to travel anywhere and so it feels almost wasteful to take that time off. If we're finding that's happening or you know we're struggling to switch off what can we do Michelle to actually start finding that downtime and switching off. Yeah, this is something I've had I've had conversations with. I've had the privilege of speaking, you know, your training courses, speaking to hundreds of people, thousands probably over lockdown. And I've been running courses on this. So it's been really good to hear what people are doing and the different ways they switch off. And I think that's the first thing, Katie, is very personal. So what works for one person probably isn't going to work for the others. Um, I mean, one of the ways that we can switch off, we can actually use physical boundaries. So personally, I find it really useful to have a physical office space. So in the house we have, I have an office. I go to work, so to speak, I go through the office door and then I'm, I'm in my office setup. It's set up for work. So I've got, you know, my phone, my computer, I've got everything there, all my technology, my podcasting equipment. Um, and then at the end of the day, I can walk away. And I say to my partner, if, if the door is shut, then I'm working and the door is open, feel free to pop in and bring me tea. And I can physically go to or from the office. Um, I, but that works for some people not everybody has an office space but I think even if you don't have a physical space you can create an office for the day and pack it away so I've been speaking to people that have even had to balance their laptops on some books on a plank of wood and or they've gone to their kitchen table and they've set up for the day as an office and at the end of the day they physically pack their office away and when the office is packed away it's a kitchen again or it's a dining room again so it doesn't matter if you have a separate office but setting up a physical workspace which can be dismantled or walked away from I think is very important um, to physically distance yourself from the office and that can be a nice way to use spatial boundaries but some people prefer to do it sort of in terms of time or temporal boundaries. So again, I've, I've, I've spoke to people who have been very disciplined saying, look, I'm going to work from eight in the morning till five o'clock. And when it comes to five o'clock, that's it. I kind of, I'm using air quotes on the podcast again. I'm going to clock off. Um, <laughs> and they so they clock in, clock off, not with anyone else, but with themselves. Other people say they can't do this. But the great thing about that is it doesn't have to be a nine to five. So if you want to do eight till, you know, one in the afternoon and then go out f- for a bit and do five till I don't know, eight, that's absolutely fine. However you want to manage it. That's the great thing about the freelancer. If you want to have an irregular shift pattern, it's fine. But ring fencing time for work and then prioritising and ring fencing your time for relationships, for hobbies is another good one. And my favourite one, Katie, was, was a colleague I worked with. She used clothing to create boundaries around her work for switching off. So she... Um, 
she she literally her and her husband worked at home at the kitchen table and I was like well I can't work at the kitchen table because it's this where I socialize and eat and I want a physical space she said no I'm fine with that she said what I do is I wear full business dressed so she wears her skirt suit and she does her full makeup and she does her hair and when her when she's at home with her husband if he looks across and sees her in full business dress she's working and he doesn't disturb her and then at the end of the day when she's clocking off for the day she goes gets her jeans and her jumper on and then if he sees her in her jeans and her jumper he knows that she's now no longer working and they can interact as husband and wife so it doesn't really matter how weird or how inventive or how creative your boundaries (laughs) are just see if you can have some ring fence your time and again you can consciously choose as much or as little as you want it's up to you we're not saying you've got to do nine to five but find a way to ring fence it i mean for some people you know, there's, you can create rituals. They have a ritual now that at a certain time or when they're done, they just slam the laptop shut, almost as if they're grabbing the <laughs> coat and running out the office door. And the minute the laptop is shut, that's it. That's the day done. But that's little rituals, little anchors, little markers that say to you, right, my working day is over. I'm now commuting home, even if it's just going down your landing or your hallway. But, but Katie, I know that you work you've got a bit more of a flow between work and home you're not because like my partner work my wife works nine to five so for me an eight or six day five days a week works perfectly because when she's at home she's at home but for you and your partner that's that's very different isn't it you've got a bit more of a flow yeah it's a bit more I guess yeah it's a bit looser I suppose um and I think when he was working in a kind of corporate nine to five, nine to five is optimistic, (laughs) eight to seven maybe, Uh, when he was working in his corporate job, then I would try and make sure I kept, yeah, weekends and evenings and everything free so that I could then maximise the time to spend with him. Um, Now we're both self-employed, it's a bit more fluid in the evenings, but we still do weekends free. So we actually, when we started out, we kind of said, oh, we could, you know, we could actually, we could work on the weekends and have time off during the week if we wanted. And uh, we've always got the option to do that. And sometimes we will swap the days around and things. But for the most part, I'd say 95% of the time, we don't work on weekends. And the main reason for that is just practical, actually. It's because for both of us, our clients and customers are less active on the weekends because we're mainly working with businesses. And so it just makes sense that when when they're not working, we're not working as well. But because both of us work with people in different time zones, we do sometimes work in the evenings, um, especially if we've got like US clients or customers, or even if we're just a bit busy or if we've been out in the day. So in normal non-lockdown times, and especially in the summer months, we'll go out paddleboarding or we've just bought some kayaks as well. So if there's good conditions, we wanna be able to take advantage of that. So we'll go out for a couple of hours, maybe in the morning, and then work a bit later in the evening. So we've kind of offset that time. For me as well, I do a lot of outdoor swimming and where we live is quite tidal. So there's only like a small window of opportunity where you can actually swim at the beach near me. And so I just put that time in my diary ahead of, you know, put the tide times in my calendar ahead of the week. So I know to block off time either side of that and then that's my time to switch off regardless of when it happens during the day so it's not like I have a particular time but to me yeah I guess my ritual is you know going and putting my wetsuit on um that's what signifies to me I'm going you know I'm not I'm out of work mode and in back into yeah but yours is that's so that I'm adding that to my list of bizarre ways of switching off I think yours is tidal then isn't it like literally because I know you watch the tidal yeah (laughs) and you ring fence the the times when you've got the right tide so there we go Katie does it according to the moon the movies are the moon I do (laughs) yeah I'm a lunar goddess basically but even that is fine but I think that's good as well like if you have like for some because also in the past I know you've had dog walking so you know full well you're going to go out away from your laptop when you've had to walk with dogs we have that as well yeah yeah. So I think there's something about that. And there is, again, not just not what you're not doing. I'm not working, but what are you doing instead? And I do think it's ideal if you have an activity or a class. And rather than, and sometimes it can be tempting to work 
through and go, oh, I can't make the class or the book club or the, the social because I'm I've working. I've really done that a lot in the past. Yeah. I did. That's, that's how I did. I'm trying really hard. That's how I got burnt out in the first place. I was putting comfort, you know, I, I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't eating right. Oh, well, I'll just grab something quick on my way home or, oh, I can't make my gym class tonight, even though I've paid for it. And actually that's really arse about face. What's really important is if you've got those things that you're switching off, your relaxation, like treat them like a business meeting. We've mentioned this before, put them in the diary like a meeting and then stick to it. And if, yeah. if work props up, it's like, no, I'm going to work around it. Uh, and I think that definitely helps. I think as well, like one of the things I'm trying to do at the moment is not just having that switching off time, but I think that there's kind of that time in between the two where you're going from work mode to non-work mode. I think sometimes it takes me a while to actually transition and to switch off. For me, it's not like a switch all the time. It's sometimes a gradual wind down and then wind up again. So I'm trying to have more buffer time in between switching off and doing what, you know, between stopping work and then doing whatever the other activity is. Um, like I've noticed if I work quite late into the evening, immediately before I try and go to sleep, then, and I, I love doing that. I love, love, love working at night. Like that, my perfect time to work would be between like 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. if I was kind of living in an alternate world. But I kind of do try and work roughly, kind of according to conventional sleep schedules. Um, if nothing else, not to, not to disturb my partner. But if I'm working quite late, then my brain is really active and it takes me a while to get out of that kind of, not even stressing, but just like thinking about ideas and like stuff popping into my mind, thinking, oh, I could do this and I could do this and I've got this idea about this thing. And so I have to stop work at least an hour before I actually want to go to sleep so that my brain has got that time to wind down and relax, ready for me to go to sleep. So I think that's something that I found really helping. I'm setting more, I used to book meetings back to back and now I'm setting a minimum of half an hour between them. And it just means that I can, even if I'm not necessarily switching off off, it gives me a bit of time to pause and reflect on what we covered in the previous meeting and to mentally prepare for the next meeting. So I think even switching off to that extent is really helpful. Yeah, or just having lighter tasks. So like you say, do your most cognitively demanding work a bit earlier in the day. And if you must do other tasks, just make them pretty pretty straightforward ones to do. Like you say, where, where the, how you use your energy and when you schedule things is important because like you say, you don't want your brain wearing away when you're trying to sleep and uh, that can be really tricky yeah yeah you read a book about that didn't you yeah I read The Power of When which was a really great book because we mentioned this on one of our other episodes Katie I think when we talk about the habits of productive freelancers just when is your best energy of the day and it's uh, and for me it's in the morning like you say for you it's a little bit later but just yeah coinciding your work with your energy levels can be really good and try and, and like you've you've got it down to an art Katie of scheduling your client calls when you know you're in the best frame of mind for it um you know when it suits you best and I think that's the you know the, the whole book just explains you know when to do your most cognitively demanding work when to do your strategic and creative work and when's the best time to do your phone calls and emails and that was really an eye-opener because if I do emails first thing in the morning that's when I've got my highest energy I be I will write really comprehensive emails emails and sometimes they don't even need that much energy it's a waste yeah. yeah but if I leave them to later in the day and I'm a bit more you know my brain's not quite as wired I probably give a much more proportionate response but also I feel better about it as well so I think the type of work you do and I know that one Kate I think the technology can can help us there as well we've we've, we've talked about digital distractions again in a different episode but I think um just having your well one of the things you can do to help you switch off is to not look at your screen but you can also change um put a, a, a blue light filter on so if you put the blue light filter on your phone it's shown to make the the blue light is supposed to make your brain more wired so if you put the filter on you're less likely to be wired by looking at your phone i actually have my phone switched to black and white about half past nine in the evening um, it's shown to make your phone less visually appealing. You can find that in the accessibility settings. Your phone's horrible to look at. There's a reason why we don't watch black and white TV anymore. And for the same reason, I don't like looking at my screen when it's black and white. So the first half an hour when I wake up and a half an hour before I start to really wind down, it just goes to black and white. Um, and I have a do not disturb mode on. 
as well. And I, I, all of my notifications on my phone are switched off and the app counters, the little numbers in your or corner of your social media email, that's switched off as well. They're, I mean, they're designed to hook you to your phone. So I've switched them off. They appear on my notification bar. So I know that I've got an email, but it's more a case of me having to proactively go in and look for it or if it pops up, I can see it's there. I can get a little preview of it to get the gist. And that makes it quite easy for me then not to go into my emails. I'll just like preview and go, oh, that's from so-and-so. I'll dismiss it till the morning. And I, I know it's hard because sometimes you see an email come in, you're like, oh, is that good news or bad news? And you might stew over it. But I'm pretty good these days at just going, do you know what? I'm not going to action it to the morning. I can't action it to the morning. I'm not going to action it to the morning. Therefore, I'm just not going to read it to the morning. Uh, unless I know it's like something, you know, project critical um then i'll probably just leave it to the next next day yeah i don't actually have any email notifications for my work email at all so i because i know i'm going to go into my inbox regularly enough to pick it up and i'm quite clear at setting boundaries with my clients to say if you have an urgent question email is not the way to reach me you know phone whatsapp me whatever but email is not the way to reach me and so yeah i i think even just making you know if you're going to switch off just just kind of yeah get to that point where you can feel like like I for me something that really helps is trying to actually like process all the emails in my inbox and that doesn't mean that I've done all the tasks that are relating to those emails it just means before I switch off every day I've replied to emails that need a reply if there's an email that contains some reference material I've saved it somewhere outside of my inbox if it's something which needs a more thoughtful, time-consuming reply, I'll, Gmail has a snooze function, so you can kind of put it out of your inbox and send it to come back at another time. So I'll make a note that I need to do it, or I'll snooze it for another time and schedule that time to actually reply to that email. Um, you know, Maybe I'll kind of do a bulk replying to email session so that I'm kind of in that right mindset. Um, so that then when, when I switch off, that is kind of my ritual of like having replied to all the emails. Yeah. And then I don't look at my inbox until the next day. Yeah, and that's good because, Kate, you said you mentioned you you have a good conversation with your clients. And I think that's really important as well because I speak to my clients too. So I always say, look, I'm respectful of your time. So I'm mindful not to call them late in the evening or if I have to email them late in the evening or, you know, when I know that they've clocked off, I'll just say, look, I don't expect a reply. Very mindful of your time, but just some point tomorrow, can we pick up? And I think if you have those conversations with your clients, then I think they're respectful of you too. And so just have an active conversation yeah. about, like you say, when here's when I'll pick up. Here's when I won't reply. Um, I want to be mindful of your time. So tell me what works for you, particularly if they've got children right now and they're homeschooling, then I know that certain times of day just aren't right for people. So it's, it's good and it's good to tell people so you can be mindful of each other but hopefully if it's like a partner or something they can hold you to account so I you know I have this conversation with my wife I don't it's not like I'm accountable to her or she's going to tell me when and when I can't work but just out of courtesy I just find that if I say you know I say I'll just do another half an hour it's practical for managing the household but it's also like kind of me making a commitment to her well I've told her I'm going to spend time with her you know at half past six or whatever so I'll commit to doing it and I think sometimes talking about this with people they can hold you to account but it also makes you feel a bit more accountable too yeah sometimes we do have to remember to plan in like time to chill out so that we don't accidentally both end up just working through the evening or sometimes we have something where we both kind of go oh should we should we go and watch something or should we go and go for a walk or should we go and do this and we we'll both go yeah 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 and then we're just kind of waiting for the other one because we think the other one's in the middle of doing work and we have that so often so now we have to be like wait I'm ready. Are you waiting for me? <laughs> like, oh no, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. It's very easy just to like slip into just doing more and more bits and pieces because obviously, you know, work's never ending. Like, yeah. that is what it is. Well, like we synchronize watches. It's like, well, you do that. I'll do this. We'll come reconvene at eight o'clock and then, <laughs> then we come back in um, <laughs> military style. So synchronize watches. And if you live alone as well, you can do this with, with um, other people, you know, arrange to meet someone online or just get someone to WhatsApp you or something and tell you, um, you know, just say, right, if you finished yet and just to hold you to account. But a good tip here is, you know, don't, don't multitask as well. We talked about technology, Katie, but um, I remember we speak to Kata Williams of East the Insta MCR she was saying you know um she got to leaving her phone in another room or to put her phone physically down on a table elsewhere after a certain period and recently I've noticed myself multitasking as well you cannot physically multitask you feel like you are doing more but even if you're just on social media while you're watching the telly 
that pulls your brains in different directions and it really gets your head whirring so as tempting as it is don't use your phone whilst watching telly if you're watching a movie totally just immerse yourself and watch the movie if you are um chatting to a friend put the phone chat to the friend but just do one thing and really throw yourself in and i noticed this um on Friday, Katie, I was doing a beer tasting, um, online beer tasting, and we'd done this thing where you order a box of beers in from the local um, supplier and they do a beer tasting night. And I realised when I was on that, like when we go to the pub, we go into the pub, we speak to the bar staff, we ask about the beers, we taste the beers, we order our beers, we try each other's, we talk about it. And so it's a real sensory experience. We're smelling it, we're tasting it, we're talking about it. And you're just really focused on that thing. And doing that again online, even though we're doing it over distance, it was a totally different experience to normal. Whereas I'd normally have a drink whilst watching TV. You're not just kind of mindlessly drinking. Yeah, or playing yeah. a game. But really being in the moment was, incredi- was, was incredible. And I got a bit of that enjoyment back and the social chatting on a Zoom with people. And then I went to a the only music festival that I think was running last year. And it was really weird. I noticed like, they had these bubbles where you sit your deck chairs in the bubbles and um, some people were like trying to like throw their towel on the sun lounger they were like getting to the bubbles early so me and my mates just kind of sat the ones around the back um but we didn't enjoy the music and Beck said I don't think that the the festival is as good this year but what we noticed was that in the, at night time when people started to go to bed we started to move uh, into further forward bubbles much in amongst the people much closer to the music and again that immersion in the music being around other people standing up and dancing instead of passively sitting um that's getting involved in the moment switching off from other things and just really immersing yourself in the experience was much more enjoyable and you got that much more restful state from having done it um, that you, I was kind of looking for for going away for the weekend and we noticed that that was really lacking so I think that there is something there about not multitasking or just absorbing yourself in a task in order to switch off it's not just what you don't do I think it's what you do do as well yeah exactly I think like we've kind of a lot of people have lost the ability to just focus on one thing at a time and we're so used to you know multi-screening and live tweeting things as we watch them and everything and I think like you say it's it is more enjoyable if you can actually be fully in that experience especially if you're with someone else to actually be with that person and not be distracted from them we all know what it's like when somebody's just always on the phone and you're just kind of like hi I'm here and I think that is you know it's that thing where you're like you say you're never really switching off because you've only got half your brain there it's like you were saying with you and Becky that you're not you weren't present on that holiday because part of your brain was elsewhere. So I think from a relationship perspective, and you know, if you've got kids as well, like I have heard people say to me like, oh yeah, like, you know, I've wanted to be really like present for my kids. And then my kids said to me like, oh, like mummy, why are you always on your phone? And she was horrified. She was like, oh my God, I do not want you to think that of me, you know? So she's a much more like mindful of, of kind of modeling the behavior of not being on and connected all the time and being just, very very present in that place um which is obviously really hard so michelle i know like some people will be saying like oh you know it's all very well to switch off but the work's still there it needs to be done like what if we've got loads of work how do we switch off yeah i mean i think you hear that a lot don't you Kate? so well the work's there or i know that email's there or there's more to be done the thing is there will always be more work your work will still be there tomorrow um and whenever you finish the work that's on your mind there'll just be more to do as well. So people think they can overcome this problem by working harder, but it doesn't work because there will always be more things that you could do uh, as well as the things that you should do. So throwing more hours at it isn't the thing that's gonna make it go away. And the reality is that most things that you do, they will wait to the morning. I think we tell ourselves that they won't, but the reality is if you slept on it or came back to it in the morning, not only would it be okay to pick it up, but you'd be well rested and you'd be in a much better place to come up with a solution. So you could spend two hours tonight stewing over that thing, doing a very poor response, or you could sleep well, wake up in the morning and it would still be there. So I think there is a bit of a discipline of getting yourself into the mindset of it will still be there in the morning. It will be absolutely fine. It will wait. Most things are not mission critical. I would suggest as well. And if you are finding there are things that need to be done and you don't have enough hours in the day, as much as we like to have ownership and control of things, you could consider outsourcing. So Katie's mentioned social media. There are VAs that can do that. If your books is another thing you'll keep an eye on, you could hire an accountant. We've mentioned before, but for me, 
Um, I don't like doing that stuff, but also even if I did it myself, it would take me longer. Like it costs me less to pay the accountant than it would cost me and my day rates, the lost opportunity of doing that myself. So you might want to think of, of something. And if you do have, a, if you think in the evening, oh, I, I, that, that email or I forgot to do this, I just keep a list. So either I have post-it notes on my desk where I go, right, I write it down so I know for sure it's not going to get forgotten, it's there. Or I set myself a calendar reminder so it's in the diary and I've blocked out the times when I am going to do the thing. And I think quite often if you know that the task will get done and that it's not going to get ignored, it's easier to get it out of your mind. So even if you wake up at three in the morning, just write it down, put it somewhere where you're going to see it and you can rest knowing that it, it, it will get your attention. And you know, sometimes when you do that, you look at your list to think, why was that such a big deal? That was just total nonsense, you know? I don't know what you do, Katie, with those or... Yeah, I think any, I think quite a lot of the time, the tasks that are kind of keep coming back and like disturbing you at inconvenient times are the ones where you haven't, that they're kind of an unclosed loop. And they, because you haven't said, right, okay, I, I'm making a note of these and I know what the next action is to work towards this. It's kind of that like lack of closure. Um, so like, I mean, I'm, I love um, David Allen's book, Getting Things Done, where he talks about how the brain isn't, you know, a ta- super efficient task management energy, like that's not its purpose. So you need to have a trusted system to get things out of your head. And then as when you start trusting that system, then your brain can relax a bit and know, okay, if an idea comes up, I know what I do with it. And you can, your brain will then learn to not feel the need to panic you as much because it knows that you have a process for dealing with things again not a brain scientist <laughs> um but you know that that kind of if you if you've it's that sort of the worry of like uncertainty of not knowing what you're going to do about something i think is really what plagues people a lot like not having a solution to a problem and so even if you know right okay i know what the next step i'm going to take towards that problem is it can make a massive difference um, like I use Trello, which is a project management tool. And so basically any action I get as an input or any idea or thought I have, it goes on Trello. So if I get a WhatsApp message or if I get an email or if I have a thought or if I read something in a book that I'm like, oh, that gives me an idea to do this thing, I put it on Trello and I've got various different, I've got it set up. So I've got like... Um, tasks for this week, tasks for next week, tasks for the tasks for the month, and then by month for the rest of the time. Um, something that I used to have and I don't have at the moment, but I'm thinking of bringing back is actually having a not doing list. And so that's something where, you know, you've got those projects that you keep moving every month that keeps being pushed back yeah. every month. And it's, again, that's a kind of, it's a mental load for you. And so I think if you're kind of saying, right, okay, Rather than feeling guilty every month that I'm not doing that task, I'm going to say, no, I'm not doing that for the moment. And it's, it might just be not doing for now. Uh, it doesn't have to mean that you're never going to do it, but it's a not doing now list and actually put your task on that list to lighten your mental burden and stop that guilt again from intruding you when you're trying to switch off. So that's one of the things that I do. I think that's a really useful one, Kate. And I think that's really interesting as well, because I, I, I was thinking about priorities, you know, like you mentioned that that thing that keeps going on the back burner probably isn't a priority, but it is a cool thing that you could do. And I think that knowing your priorities and having really well defined goals, which you've also talked about before, is absolutely key. And I know you uh, created an app with your partner, you know, the top two, the top three things you've got to do every day. And I think that that that, that system of having your top three outputs for every day, every week, every month is clear but priorities are crucial we mentioned this when we talked about time management because your priorities not everything can be a priority but if you're absolutely clear on what you're trying to achieve you know why you want to achieve it the purpose where you're going with your business what what is in what is out you know there are always more things you can do but if you've got your priorities ranked you know so this is number one this is number two this is number three when you are pushed for time rather than trying to do everything you know, you accept there are certain things on that list, like the projects you're referring to there, Katie, are going to fall off the bottom and they're not going to get done. So I think to have a not doing list is quite right. You know, there's a list of priorities and there's a cutoff. It's like, well, if I'm out of time, this is what gives rather than trying to do it all. But it also gives you a much better use of your time as well, um, because you can really, when you have spare moments, you can really focus on the meaningful stuff and just accept that some if certain things aren't happening, they're clearly not a priority to you. But you don't have to feel guilty about it because you've made a conscious decision to mm. deprioritize it. See, there's no guilt, you know? 
Yeah, if you've got your, just your kind of top three priorities or even your top one priority, apparently there wasn't a plural for priority until sometime in the last century. Oh, that's a really interesting fact. Because not everything can be your priority, can you? So, so kind of, yeah, in theory, like, yeah, if you have more than one priority, is it even a priority? But say you have three, you know, and you say, right, that is all I've got to achieve today. Anything else is a bonus task or a stretch goal. So that you're framing it in that way. So that, like you say, Michelle, you don't feel guilty if you don't do it. And then again, you can allow yourself to switch off rather than feeling like those tasks are hanging over you. And it's kind of like, if you do them, then you like feel even better about yourself. But I think that's the thing. If we feel like we haven't completed everything, it's hard to switch off. So try and set yourself up. And again, this is about setting realistic expectations for clients as well. And um, we did an episode, um, a couple of episodes about saying no and dealing with client requests um, and also freelance guilt as well. So like the guilt episode is about episode 40. Um, we did an episode about saying no, episode 17. And then episode 39 is where it's how to deal with clients who are like, oh, could you just, could you just do this? So if that's something you struggle with is that setting those boundaries, then it's probably worth having a listen to some of those episodes where we go into more detail about how to kind of protect your time and yourself as well. Yeah. And I think you know, we talk about knowing your why and your purpose. We talk about this a lot. But to know to know what you will and won't do, I think, is absolutely crucial. And if you to make it simpler, what you could do is put your to do list into must do's should do's and could do's you know and if you, you get the must things done you'll probably knock off a few of the shoulds but if it's a could do then it's probably not a priority let it go but to know the purpose is is key as well because as a freelancer particularly as you begin to network or even if you just look online if you're bombarded by youtube ads or facebook ads of do this course try this opportunity there are so many shiny objects out there and, you, and it's really easy i've done this in the past you add them to your list and you think oh i should do this or i must do this or oh i should make some time for this thing but if you know your priorities you look at it and go sometimes look at those things like okay that webinar sounds interesting but it's just not that important to my business so like I've added things to my to-do list which I'm now stewing over and I don't even need to do them in the first place and I get to the end of the week sometimes I go right clearly that is just not that shouldn't even be on my to-do list it was just a thing that distracted me and caught my attention so I think it's nice to recognize that as well definitely don't waste your energy on those things and I think the other thing, Katie, is I think sometimes we, we, we sometimes suffer from what I call Obi-Wan Kenobi syndrome. And I think the reality is, you know, you're, you are not your client's only hope. So, you know, your, client, your clients were fine before you existed <laughs> and they'd cope without you. If you weren't here, even if it, not even a competitor, you know, they'd just find another way around the problem or they'd put up with it. So the fact that you exist is a wonderful, wonderful thing. But I really do think that, you know, your clients don't need you as much as you think, unless you're an on-call doctor, in which case completely ignore what I just said but like unless you are literally going out to save people's lives then <laughs> do you know what your clients will be fine and I think with good converse, good conversation and expectation management I think it's fine and I think sometimes it boosts our ego to feel like we're saving the world or riding on our white horse and that our clients would be lost without us of course our clients would be lost without us but they will cope for a few extra hours in our absence I think yeah I've had that so many times where like again because I'm quite strict with my emails I'll go into my inbox and I'll find an email sent at 9.03 going urgent terrible thing has happened crisis 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 and then an email sent at like 9.53 going yeah oh it's fine I've fixed it now (laughs) and if I was living in my inbox and literally being that responsive I'd have got sucked into that drama and actually all it needed for them to go was to go sometimes I think you know you kind of enable your clients a bit sometimes like so I always try and hand over training materials to them and everything so sometimes it'll be just it's just not laziness but just convenience I suppose oh I'll just ask Katie rather than go and find the things that she sent over to telling me how to do this and if I'm not available it makes them go and find the thing that they have that I've already provided them with so they know how to deal with this situation and then they'll come back and go oh I found your video I watched it it's all fine now and actually then it just makes them a bit less reliant on you. Yeah, but also they feel more empowered and knowledgeable of the back of it. They get the reassurance they need, so it's good. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to think about as well, so we talked about kind of removing stuff and then, you know, kind of creating that space to switch off. But actually I think there's proactive things that we can do to kind of add stuff into our days to switch off as well. 
So Michelle, is this stuff that you do? So one of the things that we got out of the habit of doing when I, I just after I had an operation re- recently and I, I couldn't even do inversions, so I you know I couldn't do downward dog. But now we're gonna we've gone back into doing yoga again. Not only is it good for, for us physically, but I, th- one of the things I like about do I do yoga with Adrienne like a lot of people online. She's been a saviour for me during lockdown. But when she does uh, the yoga practice with you, she gets you to really focus on your breathing. And so I think if you can find a, a task that you absorb yourself in, I think I mentioned about the beer taste the festival I think that can create mindfulness not everybody likes doing mindfulness apps or meditation they find it a bit boring or they don't like it but you can find that same sense of mindfulness for throwing yourselves into a task so for me yoga works because I do a style of yoga where they really focus on a whole body experience as well as doing the stretches and the poses you focus on your breath at the same time and that really does make you centered so sometimes I do yoga with my wife and occasionally we'll chat but actually most of the time we'll really focus on the sensations and our bodies and the breathing but you don't have to be into yoga or pilates or meditation i mean if it's doing a jigsaw if it's painting if it's playing video games or if it's just like you know cooking a meal and just really getting into like what you're creating or just folding your laundry i mean some people like organizing stuff and doing the ironing it doesn't really matter where you find it i just think you should absorb yourself in something and we mentioned before Katie ring fencing that time for your good stuff like you going swimming and, and, and the tides being you know you're in it um and there is science behind yeah. this this is um the more you can do things where your conscious brain is focusing versus autopilot so we don't think about a lot of the things we do every day we go on autopilot if something is familiar to you you'll do it on autopilot so even walking which can be a very um sort of mindful activity if you walk a route you've done many times it's very easy to do it on autopilot and your brain stops focusing on the navigation and starts to go inside your head and you start to whir around and you start struggling to switch off and i found this in lockdown i've walked i feel like i've walked every path which clearly i haven't but um, if you if you can get yourself back into that conscious brain, one thing time moves slower or your perception of time moves slower, but also you're engaging your conscious brain, which makes it easy to be focused in the moment. So there are simple things you can do. If you have a route you walk, walk a different route. So um, it may not be the shortest route, but take a different path that you've not taken before or walk down a road that you haven't walked down before. Or if you have to walk the same route, walk it in reverse if you can as well. And just these little things will jolt you out of all that autopilot and get you focusing and I've read a book recently called The Art of Noticing and it's full of techniques for just noticing stuff and noticing stuff really gets you in the moment and they've had some great suggestions so they so one of the things I started to do off reading this was to do a walk that I always do but to count the number of robins I see while on my walk and that just gives me enough of variety or something to focus on to get me out of my head and into the walk. They said if you live in a city um, you could do this thing like spot potential sites for great street art. So you know how Banksy will take a fire hydrant and then draw, a pr- <laughs> make an image out of it or to take a broken flower pot or you've got people you know, parting pansies in the middle of the cracks in the pavement and things like walk around your street and see if you can find an object that looks like it could be prime for turning into street art and there's a whole website notice to where people have actually done this or they say things like if you live in a city spot signs or doors with numbers on and then each walk you go on try and um add up numbers one to a hundred and keep noticing signs until you've got to a hundred or a to z or people have made smell maps they've made sound maps of sounds they hear in different places just this art of really noticing you know there's stuff about looking up there's stuff about looking on the floor just bring your whole attention into it and this is proven to make you um, more in the moment to switch off to really focus on what you're doing without having to do mindfulness or yoga if that's not your bag so that that would be my suggestions Katie I mean I mean you do swimming and things so I guess you do stuff like that as well yeah um I was out yesterday and I was just I was swimming a slightly different but the tide was quite low compared to when I normally go so I was swimming a different part of the we've got basically I call it a pool it's like a kind of man-made rock formation thing that some ye olde monks made to catch fish so it kind of makes forms a natural pool of the seawater so I was kind of swimming along the wall of that and there was this bird and I don't know about birds I think it might have been a cormorant I don't know 
That's based on me describing it as a, one of those black water birds with a long neck. Someone said, oh, it might be a cormorant. Um, but a black bird, water bird with a long, long neck was like, I noticed it was like, it was kind of, it'd be very socially distant. It was about two metres away from me. And it was kind of, it was keeping just, just about the same distance as me as I was swimming along. Normally they'd fly away, but this one was quite, I don't know, didn't seem that scared. And it kept like, di- I know, so, so I was just kind of watching it as I was swimming and it was kind of diving in. And then I was trying to like work out where it was going to come out further along and everything. Um, and then I saw it dive in again, then it came out with a fish in its mouth. And I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, and just things like that. And like the other day we went on a walk with the dogs and we, like you say, we, we went a, a way that we've never been before. And oh my God, it was so exciting. And that's the other thing is that like, if you're finding that kind of lockdown fatigue of everything's the same. And obviously we did our previous episode about being stuck in a rut, but it was so exciting just to do this slightly different route. And it really made us feel a bit more like, oh, we've gone on an adventure rather than, oh, it's the same thing we do twice a day, every day. Um, so it can actually help to kind of bring, yeah, bring interest into your day as well. Like you said about the looking up, I have to remind myself to do that all the time when I'm, especially if I'm on holiday and I really want to take in everything. I never look up at buildings or anything like that. I always have to remind myself because you, you often miss really cool stuff if you don't. So I think that's really good to train yourself yeah, it helps to you notice feel a lot, things. A lot calmer. Yeah, and the other thing I guess is, as well as thinking about, you know, how to add stuff in, it's about, I think also how you perceive the the kind of, what people call work-life balance. Um, but I, I read an article the other day by um, a lady called Julia Davies, who's a coach, and she was saying that she likes to think of it as work-life harmony rather than work-life balance, because work-life balance, she says, kind of conjures up this idea for her of, you know, one of those kind of legal type scales where you've got a weight on one side and a weight on the other, and you have to take something away from one to add to the other. And so, and it feels like they're almost kind of competing with each other. Whereas she likes to say work-life harmony, because then that's a, a positive thing, uh, rather than having to balance things, you're having to integrate, you're kind of integrating them so they're harmonious. And it also, I think, reflects more the realities of our life, that things are a bit more blended. It's not just kind of like, okay, I'm stacking these blocks in the work column and these blocks in the life one. and. The reality is for a lot of people sometimes, maybe you'll have some days where you're working a lot and some days where you've got a bit more leisure time or time to switch off. And especially if you're freelance and don't have a set nine to five schedule. So I really like that idea of harmony of like, just making sure that you've got some time in your day to have that kind of restfulness and feel that overall, they're kind of supporting each other, the work and the life, rather than having to kind of balance them, which to me kind of conjures up the idea of like balancing the books and kind of checkbox exercises. So I quite liked that way of uh, way of talking about it. And then the other thing I read recently um, was the, the idea, and it was on Instagram, and I can't remember what account it was. It said, uh, don't get sucked into the idea that you have to earn a break before you take one. So I think sometimes you feel like, oh, I've not done enough work to stop now. But I really like that idea as well, because I definitely feel like, oh, I've not done enough hours yeah. to be able to kind of stop. Because also, if you ha- take a break, you'll do better work. Like, it's not like, oh, I have to work hard to earn a break. No, you have to have a break to work hard. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, so at the end of the episode, we always like to reflect on one thing that we would do to solve this problem. So, Michelle, what would one thing that you would do to kind of solve the problem of switching off? I think off? it was just one, Katie. I'd work out how to create that 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 boundary, you know, to that I, I'm either working or I'm not. I know life is more blended these days, but we all do need to switch off. So, well, I don't know, whether it's your clothing, your time, your space, or even if you are moving with the movements of the moon, I think you need to work out what your way of creating the boundary is. What What about you? <laughs> I think similar, I think it's, it, mine would be like the, the rituals thing. I think I'd like to do more of that, to sort of do more like signaling that, okay, yeah, this is me switching off work. Um, and I, I kind of, yeah, I kind of tried to tidy my laptop away off the table most days but I probably don't always manage it um and I use the same computer for like work and leisure which I think is probably another reason why it's hard to have those boundaries so I think like as well as getting rid of my emails I probably I should probably do a kind of more of a more of a ritual to signify the end of the working day um and kind of step out into the into the chill out time or break time so rather than just kind of rushing from one to the other, which is what my kind of buffer time is supposed to be. So yeah, rituals would be the one for me to signify moving from one state to another. 
Um, so if you've got any thoughts about switching off, if you've got any tips on how you like to switch off, or if you've got any problems that you'd like us to solve, we've got 33 left to go, then uh, message us or, or tag us on Twitter at 99problemscast, that's the number 99, problems, and then cast as in podcast. And until then, we will see you next time for another episode of 99 Problems, But a Boss Ain't One.